Gosling. Lloyd Gosling Rochelle and Townsend is a 30 attorney firm with a statewide practice located in Austin, Texas. We specialize in environmental, natural resource, and energy regulation, litigation, and employment law. My name is Lauren Kalashek, and I'm managing director of the firm and the host for today's podcast. Uh, our goal with this podcast is really talk to some of our practice area experts about timely topics and trends in a more informal setting and in a way that we hope can be a little bit of fun and informative to the listeners. In today's podcast, we have Nathan Vassar. He's a principal in our water practice group and specializes in water quality and drinking water regulation. Nathan has been practicing in these areas for about nine years now. And in addition, we have Lauren Thomas. She's also an attorney in our water practice group, and she's going on her second year of practice in these areas with respect to water law. Today, Nathan and Lauren are going to be talking to us about EPA's proposed changes to the lead and copper rule. Welcome, Nathan and Lauren. Thanks for being here. Great to be here. Nathan, can you give us an overview of where we are with the lead and copper rule and why it's up for revision? Something of interest to any public water system in Texas and across the country that serves residents with a healthy and safe drinking water supply. Everyone has seen in the news Flint, Michigan several years ago and the crisis with the water supply there. And really, that's what drove this administration and the prior to look at ways in which the uh, EPA can assess how we deal with lead and copper. How do we deal with the potential for corrosion in older pipes that may end up in the drinking water supply? And so like many regulatory efforts, it started from uh, an event that, that triggered it. In this case, it was Flint. So when now uh, former administrator Scott Pruitt became administrator of EPA, this was listed as one of the priorities for EPA. Take a look at the existing lead and copper rule, which goes back 30 years. In fact, the last uh, update on this rule was back in 1991. And he said, what are some ways that we can do better sampling, that we can look at better ways to replace lead and copper inventory in the distribution systems across the country? And so that's what shielded this new pack. It's complex. It's got a lot of moving parts to it. But ultimately, the the effort is to try and both identify, sample, and replace potential hazards to the drinking water supply. So that's kind of the big picture. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of the specifics and what clients need to know and pay attention to as as they look to make sure that they're in compliance. Now, I must say here at the outset, too, the rule is not yet final. The EPA is still, as of the date of a recording, is still in review of the comments that came in late last last year and early into 2020. And so we'll see what the final rule looks like, but there are some smart tools that folks can take advantage of. As we see some of these pieces, we can fully expect will be retained in the final package. So Lauren Thomas, what are some of the more interesting items that are included in the proposal that's up for consideration right now for the lead and copper rule? As Nathan explained, I guess it's still not final, but what do we see in the proposal that's of interest? That's right. It's still not final, but there are several interesting things. First of all, there's the three-year lead service line inventory proposal. And the lead and copper rule proposes to require systems to submit an initial lead service line inventory and replacement plan to the state within three years that the final rule is promulgated. This also requires that qualifying systems replace certain lead service lines at a rate of about 3% a year. And this will impact cities and subdivisions with lead service lines. And there are a lot of cities and subdivisions that have lead service lines. I understand that there's also a component of drinking water sampling at educational facilities. Can you speak to that? 
Is that addressed in the rule? Yes, it is. The proposed rule also changes lead sampling and lead education practices of schools and child care facilities. It actually mandates targeted sampling and public education activities. So currently, testing at schools and child care facilities is voluntary, but the proposed changes to the lead and copper rule will mandate that water systems conduct testing at schools and child care facilities every five years. And this is one of the challenges that many public water firms have raised, which is how to make sure that they can regularly access the facilities and access the facilities at times in which they can gather representative samples. So Nathan, one of the criticisms in place is how long public water systems will have in order to complete their lead service replacement. Can you speak to that and how has EPA responded to that criticism? This is one of the most hotly debated parts of the new lead and copper rule. In fact, it's um, it received you know the most comments of, of any that came in because here's what happens. Public water systems, they have to do an inventory. As Lauren mentioned at the outset here, they've got to do an inventory in a very short time frame to figure out, hey, which parts of our system are still comprised of lead pipe or copper pipe. And by the way, if you don't know if there's material and, and you're not sure just through your GIS through your tracking of your distribution system, if it is or not, you have to assume that it's lead. So you have to do that inventory. And then for the pipe that is lead, you have to go through and work through replacements. And it's not all at once, but right now under the proposed rule, there will be a 30-year replacement process. A lot of folks commented and said that's too long. Some said that's not long enough. But part of the reason why that 30 years is significant is because the prior rule was about half that. It said if you're going to do your inventory, if you find lead pipes, you really need to move a lot faster and replace pipe. A couple of responses that EPA uh, has given, or at least those in the industry have said why the 30 years they think is appropriate. Under the current rule, the notion is, oh, well, you can replace the pipe faster. Well, there were a couple of key exemptions that would allow you to deem a pipe in compliance. You could test out if you tested the pipe and you didn't see evidence that lead was actually infiltrating into the drinking water, that there was no corrosion when you were looking at it. So you could test out and you could also do partial replacements of a pipe and that would count for the entire length. Those exemptions are gone. And so what we're looking at here is a very thorough and searching replacement effort. But the issue, and and we'll see how EPA responds to this, is how long is it going to take to work through that? And right now, it can take 30 to 33 years, depending on uh, on where your system is. And so we encourage folks, this is one of the key takeaways, and we'll hit it again, I'm sure, before this podcast is over. We're telling folks, start your inventories now. There's no reason to wait. We know that there's going to be a short time frame to try and get your arms around what is and isn't lead and copper. Go ahead and start that process because uh, that's going to be time consuming, uh, but it's also going to lead to a more time consuming and expensive uh, replacement effort. So uh, again, this is one of the hottest items in the rule package. And we're going to be very curious to see if, if that time frame shifts or if some of the exemptions might even come back in response to it, but we'll stay tuned. Great. So, Lauren, I think Nathan mentioned, you know, starting to look at your inventory now is one thing that public water systems can do in order to prepare the finalization of this rule. Do you want to expand on that? And are there other things that public water systems should keep in mind when they're thinking about preparation? Analyzing the existing drinking water inventory um, is a great way to get ahead 
start on what we expect will come from the final rule when it is published. And since the final rule, well, the proposed rule suggests a three-year time period to get this done, um, a head start might be necessary to get going on this kind of analysis. Additionally, uh, we recommend that public water systems review current practices that they have in place for when drinking water service lines are impacted because the new rule will require a new level of customer coordination whenever there is work performed, um, including uh, when that work is entirely on the customer side. We've actually published a memo that summarizes many of the key findings from the proposed rule, and this memo can help folks navigate a handful of questions that we've been asked over the past year or so. Performed an analysis on the key findings from the proposed lead and copper rule. And people who are interested in this are definitely welcome to reach out to us for more information. One final question that I'm curious about. I understand there is some nexus between the proposed rule and also uh, wastewater concerns. Can you tell me how the proposed rules impact POTW's publicly owned treatment works? Yeah, this is one of those many areas where you really do see in the connection between your drinking water regulations and then your wastewater uh, regulations. I mean, they're not isolated. And here's what's going on. The new rule proposes a one-size-fits-all corrosion control effort using orthophosphate as the approach to limit corrosion. And, you know, public water systems around the country, and I know some of the industry groups we've worked with have, on the wastewater side of things, have spoken out and said, hey, you know, depending on where you are, depending on the chemistry of your water, depending on the source water, you may have very different corrosion control methods in place, depending on temperature. And so mandating an orthophosphate fix doesn't make sense for all communities. Communities. And primarily the cost issue is one that the wastewater community has raised because if you're introducing into the distribution system the orthophosphate to help prevent corrosion control, well, that's got to be then removed at the wastewater plant when the influent is received there at the plant. And so that process, and some have estimated it could be up to uh, $600,000, $700,000 a year or more per POTW to deal with that sort of treatment on the wastewater side of things. So that was another one of the big proposals. I think it, it may be an easier fix. We'll see what the final rule looks like. But it's something to be aware of on the uh, wastewater side of things, too. So the lead and copper rule has something for everybody, whether it's on the drinking water regulation or on the discharge and the treatment side of things as well. Obviously, the POTWs and drinking water systems, I guess, are going to have to pay attention to. Do you guys have any final thoughts that you want to share uh, kind of in conclusion to this conversation? I would just say this is one of those landmark rulemaking efforts that is important to keep track of. There's a lot of regulatory updates as the community and as our client base and friends in the industry know. But this is one that really has the potential to be a tectonic shift in drinking water regulation. And so you know, we'd encourage folks to pay attention, to engage, and to engage with their state regulators and with TCEQ, with whom we've had many conversations about this particular issue. How are they looking to implement it? So some of these conversations should happen on the front end. And so we just encourage engagement. And if we can be of assistance, we're happy to do so. But it's a big rule package, and it's one that comes with a lot of policy and cost implications. Thank you guys so much for um, sharing 
sharing your thoughts on this important rule change. And certainly if our listeners would like more information or contact information for Nathan and Lauren, please visit our website at www.lglawfirm.com. I think that's it for now. Hope everybody has a great day. Thanks a bunch. If you would like more information about what you've heard today, please visit lglawfirm.com. You can also find us at Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views, nor are they endorsed by Lloyd Gosling Law Firm. None of this content should be considered legal advice, as one should always consult a lawyer. This podcast is not intended for commercial purposes and is made available at no cost. Music for the podcast is from Album Jazz U and is titled By the Coast, 2004-2007 by Anthony. License under the attribution non-commercial share alike license is available on Free Music Archive. To learn more, visit by clicking the link in today's summary.